Nutrition is one of the most fundamental life processes. However, it's often the most basic equations which wreak havoc when imbalanced. Undernourishment or obesity has had debilitating social economic consequences globally and specifically on the largest democracy in the world, India. Malnutrition has been identified as one of the principal causes limiting India's global economic potential. Did you know that undernourished adults earn at least 20% less than those that were not? Hi, this is Sunaina Nair from Team Avaaz and we are getting to you a three-part episode Mission Zero Malnutrition podcast series brought to you by Tata Trusts. This episode focuses on the problem of malnutrition in India and some of the key strategies to address it. Ever looked at any packaged food in your kitchen? Look closely and you should find an FSSAI certification which lets you know that the food you're about to consume is safe and passes all regulatory standards. On this show you will hear from the chairperson of this powerful statutory board Ms Rita Teotia talking about the hidden dangers of malnutrition that affects all citizens. She will share stories about initiatives that the FSSAI runs to reduce nutritional deficiencies and the importance of consuming fortified food. Wouldn't you want to know more? Also on this episode we speak to Mr. Srinath N, the CEO of Tata Trusts, a leading philanthropic organization with nearly 130 years of creating impact. He will be decoding the importance of nutrition for people like you and me. A very warm welcome Ms Rita Teotia of FSSAI and Mr Srinath N of Tata Trust to the Mission Zero Malnutrition podcast series. Ms Teotia, I would like to begin by asking you, as the chairperson of FSSAI, you've been working on innovative initiatives around nutrition like Eat Right that urge people to make better nutritional choices at the workplace, at school, in their cities and districts. Would you share why is nutrition such an important cause within the India context, and what is the government doing to address the issue of malnutrition? Well, malnutrition is recognized as a universal challenge, and almost every country is grappling with this issue. As far as India is concerned, hunger and malnutrition have been a challenge for us throughout the seventy-five years of our independence. Our national family health surveys have indicated that the prevalence of underweight children below the age of 5 is about 35.7%, stunted children is about 38.4%, and wasted children is about 21%. The recent national family health survey didn't show a very substantial improvement except in a few states. and i think it's quite clear that during this ongoing pandemic the situation would have worsened. The government's response to this challenge has been the implementation of several schemes and programs. And to look at the largest of these, the Integrated Child Nutrition Program reaches about 138 million beneficiaries. That is children below 5, pregnant and lactating mothers and adolescents. The public distribution system reaches 813 million beneficiaries. and the midday meal program reaches 92 million beneficiaries with a hot lunch at school every single day in support of these 
nutrition programs, the National Health Mission, the Swachh Bharat Mission, and the Jal Jeevan Mission addresses and supports the nutrition work. What the Poshan Abhyan or the National Nutrition Mission does is to try and bring all of these together so that there is a convergence in order to address the challenges of malnutrition in an integrated manner. And finally, the Food Safety Authority as a regulator has its focus on food safety and food quality, of course. But our Eat Right India campaign is our effort to recognize that nutrition and food safety are a shared responsibility with industry and consumers and that really nutrition is everyone's business. Thank you, Mr. Yotia. Before we delve into understanding malnutrition a bit more, I would like to ask Mr. Srinath, since Tata Trust is also the principal partner for Portion Abhyan, that's the government's flagship program to reduce malnutrition launched in 2008. Srinath, nutrition has always been an important and one of the most crucial portfolios for Tata Trusts. Now, the Trust is also launching Mission Zero campaign with a vision of a country with zero malnutrition. Would you please share why is this an important objective for the Trusts? What are some key initiatives undertaken for nutrition? Thank you, Saina. As Ms. Theotia has said, this is clearly an issue of very great importance for the country. Over the last 130 years of our existence, the Trusts have always focused on issues that have been of national significance. And while the country has made significant progress on many fronts since independence, malnutrition does continue to be a serious problem. And it does lead to issues like anemia, like stunting, like underweight children and so on. Anemia is prevalent in more than 50% in vulnerable segments among women and children. There are deficiencies in preschool children and adolescents in calcium, vitamin A, riboflavin, vitamin C. Large parts of our population are vitamin D deficient as well. And clearly this is something we must all work together as a team to address. Our chairman has spoken about this multiple times. He shared his vision of a nourished India where he talked about doing something specifically in nutrition to children and pregnant mothers so that it would change the mental and physical health of our population for many years to come. While a lot has been done to address these issues, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about it, the progress on malnutrition has been slow and somewhat inequitable. It is a fairly complex issue, but it has many positive rub-offs. Nutrition is key to unlocking every child's potential. Well-nourished children are better equipped to fend off diseases, which is again an important issue for us. They do much better in school, and they grow up to be far more productive members of society. Malnutrition is, is clearly a poverty issue as well, and improving nutrition is key to continuing our development agenda over the years. When we speak of malnutrition, there are quite a few misconceptions around it. Most frequently, we associate it with images of undernourished children. I'd like to ask Ms. Teotia, how different is malnutrition from undernutrition? Malnutrition is an umbrella term for poor nutrition, whether that is excess consumption of nutrients or it's an inadequate consumption or absorption of one or more nutrients. There are three broad conditions under the term malnutrition. The first is undernutrition, which leads to physical and cognitive impairment and increases susceptibility to infectious diseases, for example, uh, protein energy malnutrition. Then there's micronutrient deficiencies or insufficient intake of iron, iodine, vitamin A, folate. And these can lead to severe illnesses and physical impairments such as anemia, mental retardation, visual impairment or birth defects. And the third category is overweight and obesity, which 
increase the risk of non-communicable diseases such as type 2 diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, stroke and certain cancers. Malnutrition actually affects billions of people worldwide, but it is the vulnerable groups like children and pregnant women who are the most significantly impacted. But if you look at India, while the prevalence of anemia goes above 50 and 60% in women and children, 23% of males in the country are also anemic. We also see that children and adolescents in urban areas have a higher prevalence of iron deficiency compared to their rural counterparts. But what is interesting is that in India, the prevalence of overweight and obesity is now increasing faster than the world average. So what we are staring at is really a major health challenge. So Srinath, what are some of the most persistent challenges when tackling an issue as pervasive and complex as malnutrition in India? And what is the approach the Trust has adopted to fight malnutrition holistically? The good thing about where we are is that we do have some idea of what to do. There are cost-effective intervention solutions available. We've kind of gone after the problem in three ways. One, to augment existing platforms through appropriate support. And Madam Theota spoke about some of them. For example, we worked with the ICDS program, the Integrated Child Development Scheme, and several other government platforms, civil society platforms, etc., to improve the overall program delivery and to correct possible implementation failures. This was able to give us the speed we needed as well as the scale to be able to address the issue across the country. We established scalable models in 12 districts across three states, Rajasthan, AP and Maharashtra. Second, we believe there was a need to strengthen the availability of products and solutions uh, for addressing the issue. So, for example, we talked about the anemia problem that we have, which is largely due to shortage of iron and other vitamin in our diet and the deficiencies that we have. Food fortification has proven to be a very good strategy to address this issue. It has proven to be cost-effective and can be made quite effective in the country. It's not a new solution. Even in India, it's been prevalent since the 1950s. And therefore, we worked, for example, to help scale up fortification of staple foods, edible oil, milk, the double fortification of salt with iron and iodine, fortification of rice and so on and so forth. So creating the right kind of products and solutions to be able to address the deficiencies and to create the adequate level of nutrition. The third important leg of what we've tried to do is provide recommendations and data-backed advocacy to policymakers to help create good data to become the basis for decision-making, to become the basis for policy change. We set up the Tata NIN Center of Excellence in Public Health. The India Nutrition Initiative was set up to basically lead data and implementation of nutrition programs. So we've supported the National Nutrition Resource Center within the Ministry of Women and Child Development, as well as provided technical support to some of the programs at Niti Aayog. So, Besides this, we've also supported a number of civil society organizations in the country to scale up and pilot important nutrition programs. So that's really where our interventions have gone. Right. And given that 70% of Indians suffer from micronutritional deficiencies, and this is found to be prevalent across economic strata, in fact, 60% of deaths are attributed to non-communicable diseases arising out of these deficiencies. It will be insightful, Ms. Teotia, if you would let our listeners know what are micronutrients and why is it so important? What are some simple, effective ways to enhance micronutrient intake amongst the vulnerable sections? Well, hidden hunger or micronutrient deficiencies 
are, as you mentioned, majorly impacting the nutritional status of the Indian population. The comprehensive National Nutrition Survey, which we did in 2019, indicated that nearly 80% of the adolescent population suffers from at least one micronutrient deficiency in India. So that's enormous. So it's poor diet quality and faulty dietary patterns coupled with a lack of nutrition awareness, which really is the main cause for these deficiencies. Enriching the diets of the at-risk population through micronutrient fortification, through supplementation and dietary diversification are the most cost-effective and sustainable methods to actually tackle deficiencies. The key point actually is to have interventions that are cost-effective and feasible enough to reach to remote rural areas. Enriching diets of the population with specific micronutrients and not focusing simply on caloric intake is a solution that many countries across the globe have adopted. In India, of course, various policies and programs have been implemented to ensure adequate supply of micronutrients. These include increasing the content of protein and micronutrients in the midday meal program and in the integrated child development scheme, the development of an efficient public distribution system and also food fortification. It's not enough to just provide adequate amount and quality of food, but we also need to improve the awareness about nutrition and eating right. Now, these interventions are complementary rather than mutually exclusive. And we need to adopt a multi-sectoral approach involving health, food security and agriculture. Thank you, Ms. Yotia. You spoke about food fortification. The Food Fortification Resource Center, that's the FFRC, is an initiative of the FSSAI that was strongly supported by the trusts. Srinath, please tell us a little bit more about the center. We all know why food fortification is important right now, but why was FFRC formed and what does it seek to achieve? Food fortification, like I said, has been practiced in many countries around the world for many years. Even in India, it goes back to the 50s when we first started to fortify Vanaspati, moving on to salt uh, iodization in the 1960s. And you will remember that the group also has played a very significant role in iodization of salt from the late 60s onwards. Our analysis showed that the food habits of people are changing and as people started to rely more on consuming food from outside, then fortification could be a very interesting game-changing idea to tackle any deficiencies in micronutrients. There are really two routes to market that you can see. One, let fortification take its due course. You make fortification available in multiple products, it goes into the open market and starts getting consumed by people at large. So that's clearly one route to market where market forces take over and propagating fortification around the country. The second is what has really happened and which the government has very strongly supported, which is to use the safety net programs to drive fortification in a much more consistent way. For example, the midday meal scheme, the integrated child development services and the public distribution services are all important initiatives of the government where fortification has played a very important role. To make this happen, what we've done is we've been working very closely with the government of India. We worked with the FSSAI to identify possible gaps in the area and to see how we could work together in identifying and plugging some of those gaps. For example, it was important to define what the standard for fortification is. What is fortification? How much do you fortify? What can you fortify? Which foods can be fortified with what kind of products and so on? This was done as far back as 2016. 
The second thing that was done was in order to identify fortified foods and to differentiate them from non-fortified foods to make it easier for consumers to recognize them was the launch of the Plus F logo, uh, which is also proven to be a very successful intervention in the market. And uh, to help drive and scale the fortification effort, we supported the setting up of the uh, FFRC within the FSSAI. And this has been, I think, a very important intervention, serving as a think tank, serving as a research body to help identify or to help support the efforts of the FSSAI in terms of the overall interventions on food fortification. Multiple programs have happened. A lot of success can be reported. For example, we piloted fortification of rice in Andhra Pradesh, and this is now being taken up at a national scale. Milk and oil fortification have scaled up. The Trust supported a program for DFS or double fortified salt in Uttar Pradesh along with the state government. This showed some improvement in the status of anemia in the population that consumed the DFS. All of this is clearly shown that a very sustained and systematic intervention can do a lot in terms of addressing some of the issues of malnutrition. Many states, more than almost 20 states and four union territories have so far adopted fortification of their chosen commodities at the district level in the ICDS, MDM and PDS programs. And clearly the various interventions across all the staple products that we talked about are reaching tens of millions of people daily. So clearly fortification is here to stay and and a structure like the FFRC helps to scale up the efforts across all interested parties like the government and the private organizations as well. Revealing insights, Srinath. Ms. Tiotia, since you joined FSSAI in 2018, one of the key regulations that came through was the fortification of five staples, that is oil, wheat, rice, salt and milk. Would you like to share some details about this, please? Well, Sunaina, we have introduced these standards as voluntary standards. We encourage fortification, but it is not a mandate. Right. Having said that, the uptake on fortification in both oil, that is cooking medium, and milk has been pretty good. We now have in cooking oil, 341 brands available. In milk, there are now 40 dairies that are producing fortified milk. In wheat flour, we have 11 brands. In rice, just two. And salt, there are 22, although the production is still extremely small. But as a result of this effort and the number of uh, companies that have come on board, fortified products are increasingly visible in the marketplace. And supported by the advocacy effort that we are making, the consumption is increasing. The second plank is that not just in the marketplace, but we are adopting a dual strategy. One, making fortified staples available in the open market, but two, also working and targeting the most vulnerable through the government schemes. Currently, we have under ICDS, 14 states and three union territories who are adopting fortification. Under the midday meal program, there are 17 states and two union territories. And under the public distribution system, 14 states and two union territories. But the biggest success for us really has been this 15th August when the Prime Minister from the ramparts of the Red Fort announced that fortified rice would be available through PDS to all holders of the PDS card by 2024. So it's going to be ramped up. And the investment that will go into this, the logistics that will need to be coordinated, will now come from the government of India. 
we faced in these years both technical logistical as well as financial challenges in implementing these fortification in the national programs and now that the government of india has committed that all the three national programs will be supported in this fashion this as well as the coordination and the logistical is something that we are now going to be able to tackle you'll find in the kendriya bhandars in delhi now all the five staples are available and they are put right in the front of the shelf and that's that's been a real achievement over five years of pushing it that's that's marvelous indeed we had earlier spoken of how poor nutrition also constitutes consuming excess of nutrients leading to obesity which in turn leads to other non communicable diseases now also given that india has resolved to be trans fat free in 2022 how is fssai ensuring healthier food choices are available and accessible across the country and i would also like to request you if given that in this day of ready to eat packaged food what are some important tips our listeners can pay heed to before buying food products if you could share some insights please on working towards the healthier uh, food choices we are making a lot of efforts in this direction we introduced as part of the etrite several benchmarking and certification schemes to improve the overall infrastructure as well as food safety and hygiene levels across food establishments covering street vendors local dhabas hawkers petty food vendors but we've also got certification schemes for campuses for railway stations hygiene rating for restaurants sweet shops in a targeted way to ensure that there is the highest standards of hygiene and quality being ensured in addition to the eat right campaign some of the things that we have done is the food safety and standards labeling and display regulations which came out last year that overhauls the entire labeling and display norms so as to provide consumers with informed food choices we've also brought out regulations on menu labeling so that food service establishments tell consumers exactly what is the calorie count and the content of each item on the menu we've also issued the regulation that you mentioned to limit industrial trans fats to not more than 2% by january 2022 and we've conducted a very large scale surveillance to assess the level of compliance so far and it's fairly encouraging as far as processed products are concerned we're working on standards for traditional indian food items which did not used to be so well regulated like namkeens and mithais so that they can be mapped with standardized product specific standards and we are promoting millets as a nutri cereal and sensitizing people to that but finally i think when you say what is it that is a takeaway i'd say that consumers need to understand that they are ultimately responsible for their individual health they do need to exercise the option to make a healthy food choice for good health and they need to be aware on what are those food choices that they have we are doing our best to put out accurate information to show the directions to ensure through labeling and through product redesign that the healthier choices and options are available but finally i think it's for the consumers to make those right choices thank you so much shrinath we are in the midst of the second year of the pandemic 
How has the pandemic disrupted philanthropic efforts at the community level, given that lakhs of Anganwadis and midday meal schemes have been affected? What is the new normal we are trying to recalibrate towards? Because of the, the sheer focus on COVID, because the diversion of everybody's attention, all of the funds uh, available for the social sector to, to addressing the issues of COVID, many of the other interventions have kind of fallen behind. Interventions in education, interventions in health, interventions in nutrition have paid the price. And this is something which we're starting to pick up more and more from the conversations that we are having with people in the market. I'll give you some examples and you kind of touched upon one of them in your question. We were feeding almost 25,000 plus children as part of a centralized kitchen scheme in Maharashtra, working jointly with the Tribal Development Department. And ever since the lockdown and the schools have closed, this has clearly not been working for some time now. And this was an important source of nutrition for children. And clearly this is becoming a problem because something which we were doing to support the nutritional requirements of children is no longer available to them and has not been available for a significant period of time. Similarly, on the education side, given the fact that schools have been shut for upwards of 12 months in places, the discontinuity is leading to a situation where getting children back into school is going to be a huge problem and children have lost a significant part of their year. Not many of the geographies that we work in are necessarily amenable to an online digital program where you could teach children digitally all the stuff that was being done uh, through classrooms earlier. So the COVID has been a serious disruptor of, of many, many development programs. And I think one of the things that we all need to do is to keep our eyes on the issues that we are trying to address and figure out how to keep the focus alive on programs around health, programs around nutrition, programs around education. And that is something we at the Trust are trying to do at this time. The community is clearly at the center of everything that we try to do. And, and communication and making people aware of the issues is something which is an important part of almost any of the initiatives that we have run. Currently, what we're focusing on is the Clarion Call, which is Deshka Mission Zero Malnutrition, where the idea is to create awareness among people on the effects of malnutrition, especially undernutrition with a focus on micronutrient deficiency. And something which we clearly need to see a greater understanding of, a greater awareness of, so that people at large could correct their behavior, could take more steps on their own to improve their health. And we would try and engage with as many segments of the society as possible through our interventions. Nutrition will always remain a critical intervention and a focus area for us. Given the issues that we are facing today, we are working on the next phase of programs that we will be rolling out over the next three to five years. A fortification will be an important part of what we do going forward. And we will look at what else we can do to support the various initiatives being run by the government in addressing the issues of malnutrition, including providing good data and good analytics to help support policy making. That sounds wonderful. Thank you, Srinath. We wish you and Tata Trust the very best in this mission. Thank you, Ms. Teotia, for your invaluable insights on importance of nutrition and FSSAI's fortification initiatives, among others, which provided us much food for thought. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you like listening to Fortifying India, the first episode in the Mission Zero Malnutrition podcast series. Our second episode next week will feature the nutrition veteran Dr. R. Sankar, Senior Advisor Tata Trusts, and Mr. Minesh Shah, CEO of NDDB, that's the National Dairy Development Board, discussing the crucial aspect of collaborations in a mission as large as Mission Zero Malnutrition. So stay tuned. dot com